Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Mayan, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surely and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants were breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back where they arrived. They reported every word. David said this to his men. Each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five shias of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. 
but she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. And Abigail saw David. Sorry, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from the pocket of the sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience this the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, she was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. 
and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm, and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord, Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were both his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galam. I'm going to hand over to Steve now to give today's talk. Grace, we'll start that again. I just said, welcome on mute. <laughs> nice to have you all here. You're very welcome. And uh, good to be speaking to you today from 1 Samuel 25. Let me pray and then I'll get going. Father, we thank you for another day to sing your praises, to, to pray to you, to come before your throne of grace and to know uh, your grace upon our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us and that you fill us and enable us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are our great example and saviour and Lord. And we thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, that whenever we come to your word, you want to speak to us and make the word that is written on the pages of scripture come deep into our hearts. And I pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. The message of today's passage is summarized by the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans chapter 12, when he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the passage brings out this message in a series of contrasts between the three main characters, David, Nabal, and Abigail. So David initially is good. He takes care of Nabal's sheep. This is a generous act of kindness, not duty. Nabal responds to David's request to return the favor with evil. He may mocking and dismissing David. In fact, that's what David says in verse 21. He says, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. Evil for good. Thirdly, David responds to Nabal's evil with evil. He threatens to take up the sword and kill Nabal and his men. David, at this part in the story, is overcome by evil. So verse 22, he says, May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Fourthly, the peacemaker and hero, Abigail, enters the narrative with swiftness, grace, beauty, craft, wisdom. And through her kindness and courage, she's able to change the heart of David. So that in the end, 
David was able to overcome evil with good rather than be overcome by evil. David is good, Nabal is evil. David is evil, Abigail is good, David is good. That's how the narrative goes. And you see there is an external narrative which involves the crucial role of the peacemaker, Abigail, to save her foolish husband from death and to save David from needless blood guilt and the stain that would have been on his hands for the rest of his life. But on the external narrative, there's an internal narrative, the narrative of David's heart. A narrative that goes from desiring vengeance to trusting the Lord to bring justice. And the key to that is this peacemaker, Abigail. She was the one that enabled David to overcome his desire for revenge and forgive and be good. So we need to think about those two narratives. There's the external circumstances of our lives. Different people, like Nabal who are rude, insensitive, offensive, hurtful, harsh, arrogant, blind, and evil. That is the external narrative of every single one of our lives. People like that are in our lives. And they make us angry and upset because they hurt us and they wrong us. And alongside the external narrative of our lives is the internal narrative of what's going in your heart. In other words, how do we respond when people do things that upset us and hurt us? Do we act rashly and foolishly like David was going to act and live with regret, with blood on our hands, so to speak? Or do we allow God to use the challenging people in our lives who rub us up the wrong way and hurt us to change us and form our hearts and deepen us so we develop a greater trust in him and are able to overcome evil with good? So how do we become those people? How does the narrative of David's heart become the narrative of our hearts? That we can forgive people who hurt us. Well, the passage tells us three three things. To overcome evil with good, you need to be aware of your own tendency to evil, which is revealed under pressure. You need to receive the peacemaker into your life. And you need to trust in God to have the final say. You want to be a person that can forgive people that hurt you? Follow the narrative. Be aware of your own tendency of evil, verses 1 to 13, which is exposed under pressure. Receive the peacemaker into your life, versus the next narrative, 14 to 31. And trust in God to have the final say, the end of our passage. So how do we develop a heart to forgive people? Well, we have to be aware of our own tendency to evil, which is revealed under pressure. Let's remember David's circumstances. He's gone from being a nobody, the youngest son of Jesse, to being anointed, though not recognized, future king of Israel by the great prophet Samuel. He has defeated the the giant Goliath and he's become hero of all Israel. But this only leads him to be exiled because of the insecure and jealous Saul, who's desperate not to lose his position of power. So Saul is threatened by David and pursues David into the desert and makes repeated attempts to kill him. And we learned last week from the Anne in verses 20, in chapters 24 and chapter 26, sandwiching our chapter 25, notice, David is given two chances to kill Saul. Two chances when God allowed, and David does not seek revenge on Saul, but seeks reconciliation. But reconciliation never comes. 
Saul's insecurity is too great. And David remains in exile, isolated and on the run. And we read in verse two of the passage that he's in the desert of Moab. I once spent 48 hours in the Sahara Desert. And though I was with a large company and had plenty of supplies, I learned very quickly that deserts are very hot and very isolating and therefore very scary for surviving. It's hard. And David is in a desert, not just physically, but relationally, isolated, cut off, parched. And David has the daily task of providing food for his 600 men who have joined with him in the desert. And you can imagine that day-to-day life for David and his men in the desert was not easy. This wasn't for 48 hours like me after a whole you know, tour organized from Morocco. This was weeks on end. A prolonged period of survival in the desert while a maniac king tries to kill you. But did you notice something else? Verse one, if you've got a Bible, look at verse one. Did you see it? What else happens? His, his mentor, the great prophet Samuel, dies. Whenever someone who is significant and important to you dies, it is emotionally draining. It takes its toll on you. Recently, the neighbor who lives opposite us, 11-year-old son, died of leukemia. He had suffered it when he, when he was younger, but through lots of treatment had overcome his cancer. It returned aggressively in December 2019, and he was dead within a week. Christmas 2019, Christmas will never be the same for that family, our neighbors. And we went to the funeral, which was attended by hundreds of his friends and wider school at Wesley College. And the grief and the outpouring, rightly so, was enormous. And Leanne and I leading up to and after that funeral were emotionally drained. Aware of the tragedy and the significance of the loss of our neighbors and reflecting on the age of our children and that loss. When someone dies, you are emotionally drained. David is in a desert. He's being hunted by Saul. He has the pressure to feed his 600 men. He's grieving the death of Samuel, the great prophet. It's fair to say things were quite intense for David. There was most likely an internal buildup of tension and emotion and desires. And then, and then he kindly cares for the local rich farmer's sheep and the local rich farmer does not return the favor. Instead, he hurls insults at him. David is insulted by the local fool. And this is the straw that broke the camel's back for David. This is the final bit of pressure that blew the lid. In verse 13, four times we're told about the sword. David turns to the sword. His internal character has been pushed to the limits. He's run out of patience. He's run out of compassion. It's time for violence. Let's take a quick and easy route out. Let's Fast track this problem, violence. But it never works. Do you remember the famous words of Martin Luther King? The ultimate weakness of violence 
is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night devoid, already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But David had had enough. He has no more light. He has no more love left in him. He's had enough of the pressure, enough of the isolation, enough of the suffering, enough of the abuse, enough of the hurt, enough of the heartache, enough of the loss. He wants to end it all in a quick and easy way, and he thinks violence is the way to do that. Now, don't forget, chapter 24, chapter 26, when David had the opportunity for revenge and violence, he didn't take it. He refused to harm the anointed king, but here, He's willing to liquidate a private Israelite. He's been pushed to the limits. His internal deepest character of his heart has been revealed. Note people, friends, previous victories do not guarantee present victories. Chapter 24, chapter 26, forgiveness. Chapter 25, revenge. David is being severely tested, and if not careful, he will become like his enemies. He will be as murderous as Saul. He will be as foolish and as obnoxious as Nabal. And that's what happens. If you, if you are overcome by evil, you become like your enemies. You want to destroy them, and you become them. That's the way evil works. Instead of diminishing evil, we multiply it. We increase the hate. If David is not careful, he will become a horrible mix of Saul and Nabal put together, using violence rather than trust to establish his kingdom, rather than seeking the Lord to establish it for him. Now step back a moment. What do we find in our own lives? That we can, hurt, we can handle a certain amount of pressure, can't we? We can handle a certain amount of adverse circumstances. We can hold the course for a certain amount of trials. But eventually, the desert becomes too hot and the pressure too intense. And we just want a quick and easy way out. We want to fast forward the suffering. We want an escape. We want to get it over and done with. We, and we will take things into our own hands and use whatever means is required to establish our kingdom. In other words, when the trials of our life multiply and the intensities increase and the pressure is unrelenting and no break seems to come, we come to the point like David where no love, is love and compassion is left in our hearts sometimes. We find that there's evil there and it's a horrifying to find, but we do find it. The evil was always there. The lack of patience, the lack of compassion, the lack of grace was always there. But it's only been revealed under that intense pressure. Some of us are rhinos. Sorry, I've gone the wrong way. Some of us are rhinos. We lash out in anger and explode. We raise our voices and use our words to cut people down. Like a rhino, we charge in our pain. So we just want an outlet. We just, and if others get hurt, it's irrelevant. I'm just so hurt. I want an outburst. I want to be justified. I feel justified in my outburst, in fact. And some of us are hedgehogs. 
Internally, we harbor evil thoughts. Like Nabal, we are cutting and judgmental and write people off and come up with plausible reasons while they're in the wrong and we're in the right. In our minds, we despise them. We become cold and hard-hearted towards them. We're not the rhino, we're the hedgehog who curls up silently and sticks out the prickles. The relentless pressure of the desert experience brings to the surface evil that was lying deep within our hearts. We run out of love and light and the evil has started to overcome us. It's not nice to face this, but it's true. COVID-19 is similar to David's desert experience. A slow, continual buildup of restrictions and hardships and setbacks and disappointments and dashed plans and isolation and loneliness and heartache and the pressure builds up and there is certainly no quick fixes or way out ways out and the government guidelines can seem oppressive and unfair on us in our situation and what happens as the pressure builds and the, the length of time builds interpersonal issues start to emerge People rub us up the wrong way, especially those we live with. Old wounds start to reappear. Old frustrations reemerge with anger. Our desire to find a quick fix and cheat the system or bend the rules or disobey the rules becomes normative. We forget the slogan, we're in this together, and we just become in it for ourselves to make it easier for us because that's what we're thinking about now. We've, like, we've run out of love. Like David, these circumstances are real and trying. We are right to mourn and cry out and be angry. There is a place for lament and expressing our desperation. Just read the Psalms that David wrote during this time. Psalm 54, 56, 63, Psalm 18. He wrote them during these desert times. Psalms full of emotion and frustration, being honest with God about the challenges is right and good and proper. But we must also be aware of the tendency to evil that is right there in our hearts. And we will find ways to justify it. Nabal feels justified. David is like a servant who's breaking away from the masters. David feels justified. Nabal has despised me. He deserves the sword. We all justify it, don't we? Do you know what leads to moral failure? and burnout within Christians and particularly Christian leaders. It's a deadly combination, friends. It's called anger and emotional exhaustion. Moral failure and moral burnout or, or burnout come because you are angry, probably righteously, but you are at an emotional low that you cannot cope with that anger that you're feeling. David is emotionally low and physically low. He's got the relentless pressure and he's rightfully angry. Nabal's been a horrible man. He's lived up to his name. He's a fool. He's been wronged and hurt. But what happens is that David has lost the ability to handle his, handle his righteous anger in a righteous way. So Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't be overcome by the evil. David is overcome. He's about to sin. And he's given the devil a foothold. So here's the key lesson. The circumstances in our lives and the pressure situations only reveal what is already in our hearts, but hasn't yet had the opportunity to come out. If you want to grow 
in your ability to forgive people and overcome evil with good, you must first realize that each of us is like David. And when we're pushed to the limits, we find violence and revenge in our hearts. We must be aware of our own tendency to evil. We must acknowledge our own brokenness and sin. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this movement full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. You want to overcome evil with good? Start repenting of the evil in your own life and allow God to use the pressure and intensity of the desert experience to expose areas where you need to lay down your arms and surrender control. Secondly, receive the peacemaker into your life. Like many husbands, Nabal is a man whose wife outshines him in many ways. The contrast throughout the chapter are striking, starting in verse three. He is surly and mean in his dealing. She is intelligent and beautiful. He is selfish and foolish. She is decisive and resourceful in action. He is blind to what is about to happen. She is perceptive in circumstances and courageous in danger. He is drunk and arrogant. She is engaging in demeanor, shrewd in conversation, rational in argument, theological in thought. Jesus would say to his disciples that they must be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Abigail personifies that beautiful and powerful combination. And David is gifted with the ability to see that Abigail is God's appointed savior to save him from needless blood guilt, uh, bloodshed and guilt. You see, after Abigail has persuaded David not to take revenge, and fed the hungry men that he was with, we read this. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. May he be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself in my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you would not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Abigail saved David from bloodshed. David had the good sense to realize that Abigail was God's gift to him. We looked at similar things and we reflected on the influence and the friendship of Jonathan on the life of David, protecting him from the evil around him. Well, here Abigail is protecting David from the evil within him. And so we too, once we've repented of our sinfulness, need to realize we cannot overcome evil inside of us in our own strength. We cannot muster up the ability to forgive others through sheer willpower. We cannot, through force of will, change our hearts by ourselves. We must surrender, repent, and receive the Savior. Abigail risked her reputation, her marriage, her very life to take the initiative to protect David and Nabal from both being overcome by evil. The cost to her could have been great, but in the end, she is honored and becomes David's wife. But she is not our Savior. 
for our Savior, it cost him everything to deal with the evil that is in your heart and mine. He came running from the Father's house with gifts of love and kindness and generosity. He came to persuade us and reason us with us. He came to be our peacemaker, to bring us peace. And what did we do? We were Nabal. We put him on a cross. He became collateral damage as each of us did what we needed to establish our kingdom in our way. Like Nabal, we would turn his kindness with evil. And yet what did he do on the cross? In a desert, in a heat, in an intensity that none of us will ever have to bear? With outstretched arms, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He never gave in to violence, though he could have called a legion of angels to his side at any moment. He overcame evil, evil with good. Why? So we could be forgiven. We could be reconciled. We could no longer have to live with the guilt of our wrongs because the penalty had been paid. What Abigail did for David meant that he could continue through life without this moral failure of killing Nabal on his record for all to see. She saved him from that guilty conscience and from entering his role as king with blood on his hands. Our savior has done the same too. He enables us to go through life without our moral failure standing as a record forever against us. He paid the penalty. He took it. He... We're like David. We can be saved from having that moral record always nagging at us. The conscience can be cleansed. Those accusing thoughts can be silenced. We can be free. We can be forgiven. As you receive Jesus as your peacemaker and accept his forgiveness of you, you will be able to forgive those who hurt you. It's the only way you will find the power to forgive others who repeatedly hurt you. It's the only way. Receive him as peacemaker. You'll never be able to do it unless you first received him. David had the good sense to receive Abigail into his life. Have you had the good sense to receive Jesus into your, and I'm not talking about a previous, if you haven't received Jesus ever as a peacemaker into your life, do it today. I urge you, why not? The guilt can be gone forever. But for all of you who received Jesus at one point in your life as Savior and Lord, have you received him today? For that pain, for that hurt, for that person, Past victories and professions do not guarantee present victories and obedience. Today is Jesus your Savior. Today is Jesus your Lord. Today, are you willing to confess any known sin to him? Today, are you willing to forgive those who have hurt you regardless of what they have done? Because you've received forgiveness from Jesus. Today in your desert, as, as the pressure and intensity increases for you, are you relying on your own strength, taking matters into your own hand, finding reasons to justify your actions, or are you receiving him today to give you the peace that you need? Today is Jesus your Savior and Lord and peacemaker. After this talk, we're going to take communion together as a way of expressing today we receive Jesus for what we need to deal with the evil in our hearts today.
You see, if you've received Jesus as your peacemaker, then you'll be able to take the third step that's required to overcome evil with good. You will trust in God to have the final say. Verses 32 to 44. A sign that you've received the peacemaker, a sign that God has changed your heart, is you've learned to trust in him to have the final say. You've learned not to force the issue and take matters into your own hands. Four times in the story, we hear that God kept David from from himself, from his impulsive, sinful tendencies. It says this, the Lord has kept you from bloodshed for keeping me from bloodshed this day, who has kept me from harming you, who has kept his servant from doing wrong. In all that was going on, on that external narrative and the internal narrative, God was keeping David safe, protecting him and restraining him, largely through the provision of the servant Abigail. And Abigail has to remind David in verses 30 to 31 that God will establish the kingdom for him so he need not attempt to establish it with blood on his hands. In other words, God is in charge, not David. And David just needs to trust God's timing and God's purposes, even through the suffering. And do you know how the story ends? With God bringing justice. Verse 38 puts it so emphatically. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. The brevity of the verse is striking, as if to remind David and all of us of the magisterial ease with which God cares for this matter and how unnecessary all of our blusterings to try and fix it ourselves. David has learned that God will bring justice and so has learned that he needs not to and he need not try and grasp it and take matters into his own hands. Tim Chester helpfully comments, this does not mean David is indifferent to injustice. The Psalms call for God for justice with a passion that sometimes embarrass our sensibilities. But David refused to fast forward to judgment. He is content to let God be judge. A sign that you're aware of the evil within. A sign that you've received the peacemaker into your life is that you refuse to fast forward judgment and take matters into your own hands. God will judge at the right time and in the right way. The Apostle Paul put it like this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, is mine to revenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Friends, God is the judge of all and he will revenge at the right time and in the right way and he will take care of, he will keep us even from ourselves. Hallelujah. Until the day when he brings justice to this whole earth or he calls us home. Do you want to develop a heart like David, a heart after God's own heart? A heart that is able to forgive those who hurt you? A heart that is able to trust God in the waiting? A heart that is able to remain kind and courageous like Abigail's, despite the intense heat and pressure of our situation? Firstly, be aware of your own tendency to evil, which will be revealed under pressure. Let's not be naive about our own hearts and let's not be blind to the excuses we make. Receive the peacemaker into your life today. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot find the strength within. We need to be forgiven so we have the power to forgive others.
Thirdly, trust God to have the final say. Even when things in this world don't go to plan and there are many loose ends and many unresolved hurts and many wounds which don't seem to fully heal for you, let's allow God to bring justice when he chooses.